0: I feel like I should apologize for that just right out the gate. Hey, happy Father's Day, men. How are we doing? Man, no, men, for real. This is our one chance to be men, to make noises that women say not to, and to just feel like a man for a minute. So, men, how are we doing today? That's what I'm talking about. Man, Santan Scottsdale, I think I heard something, so good job. Glad you're here. Thanks for doing this with us, man. Happy Father's Day to you. Hopefully, men. This is our super bowl, man. We live for, we got 364 days of everybody else, but today is our day. So seize it with everything we have, go home, watch TV and don't do anything the rest of the day. That's our plan. Glad that you are here with us. Um, let me, let me set up today with this. I had a birthday a couple weeks ago. Um, and I've been trying to figure out, yeah, they stink now, by the way, just so you know, once, like once you pass like 30, it's worthless because birthday birthdays, you don't get anything good anymore. It's hard to get excited about a dishwasher. Um, had a birthday and I'm sitting in life now and I'm thinking lots of things like I'm at that point in in life like I'm halfway dead so I'm trying to figure out have I done everything that I wanted to do in this stage in life and and I'm looking and I'm thinking man maybe this is where a lot of us are at because man I feel like this is when we get to this stage in life or when we're just kind of rolling sometimes regardless of who we are regardless of how we feel regardless of what we believe I think there's a point in our lives where all of us, we, we take a step back and we look and we evaluate and we, we think a few things like, man, is this really, did, did I do everything possible? And if you're a dad in the house, you're, you're with me on this. That is the scariest thing ever. Ever. Like there is nothing you could throw like a tarantula that's been bred with a scorpion and also with a like cobra and an alligator body all swarmed together and put that in front of me. And I would definitely wrestle that all day long over being a dad because it's terrifying. Um, We make it up as we go. There's no rule book. Um, We have no clue what we're doing. We just kind of make something up and then try to pretend that we're confident in it and hope that nobody dies. That's pretty much what we do as a dad. (laughs) Throw some duct tape and baling wire on them and just pray to God, do something, Lord. Because um, we don't know what to do, so we make it up as we go. And I remember with, with all three of my kids, um, I remember sitting there seeing them for the very first time and, and holding them and thinking, this is the most beautiful thing ever. And they're not right then because their like, heads are all cones. they got gross stuff all over them, and you're looking at them going, oh. Um, but then you realize that that, that you did that. And, and that moment of, man, just, just falling in love with it and then thinking, like all the dogs that I lost in my life, um, all the plants that I, I didn't water and they, they died. And I'm, now I'm holding this baby thinking, oh no. And you can't put it back. So you're stuck in a moment of, what if I fail in this? It's one of the most terrifying moments ever. And, and to figure out how to do that. And, and as they grow older, like now my, my baby then, she's about to turn 17, been trying to teach her how to drive for a little over a year. And I remember, dude, when she was young, when she's like five years old, I remember sitting on my lap, getting her in the truck, like just driving around, not through traffic, like in a parking lot somewhere, but letting her steer. Um, And she was doing great then, and now she's 16, about to be 17. And I realized about a, I don't know, about a month ago, I guess, that um, she drives a lot like me, and that's not going to be good for the world. So I had to invest in driver's education, because if not, she's going to wind up in jail, no doubt in my mind. And I look at that thinking, man, I'm how did i mess that up it was so easy when she was five um my son who's who's 13 and i didn't get to do a lot with him as a baby because of his heart but as soon as we could i remember holding him and sitting in front of like sports center and man just educating him on everything he needs to know because you got to train a kid while they're young or they grow up being a cowboys fan you got to do it quick you got to do it quick you have to and so I remember talking to him and speaking, speaking sports into his life before he could even understand what a sport was and trying to teach him how to throw a curveball when he can't even walk and, and just talking wisdom into him. And now he's 13. Boy knows everything there is to know about Adventure Time. All the characters, the song, Finn, and J- he can do the whole thing. has no idea who Michael Jordan is. I don't know what to do now other than like duct tape him to a chair and watch um, Sports Center like Classic 30 or something Because he's got to understand the greatest one ever And I feel like as a dad I'm looking at that going What have I done? I'm driving around the other day with my youngest She's nine And a song comes on the radio and she starts singing Baby, baby, baby Oh my And I look at her for a second and I do what any good dad would do in that moment I change the station And I'm throwing in some like Zeppelin something Um My baby girl knows all the words to baby, 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 but has no idea who the Beastie Boys or Led Zeppelin is. And I'm looking at that as a dad going, what have I done? This future generation is ruined and I'm a big part of it. Because I remember when she was a kid, like singing to her, good stuff, Doobie Brothers, some of the good music. And now she's stuck on JB and I'm like, oh Lord, I'm sorry. It's easy to look at life and to maybe look at some past mistakes, maybe some, some, some past like success stories, it's easy to look back and think, man, what could I have done different? If I would have done this different, would this have changed? If I would have done this different, where, where would I be? It's easy to, to sit in that moment. And I don't know if it's just because of where I am in this stage in life, but I hope this is where you are today too. And, and not just the men, because I'm hoping that this hits everybody. Um, ladies, kids, it, it doesn't matter. I think that this will, will connect with all of us because there's going to come a point where you look back and sometimes we use the circumstances that we're in now to gauge if we've done a good job. And let me give you maybe some, some freedom real quick. Your circumstances right now are not a good gauge to tell you if you've done a good job. Circumstances are just that, circumstances. And sometimes it's, it's, sometimes we wake up and we're stuck in a circumstance and we're doing everything we should, but we're still stuck in a circumstance. If you've got a Bible, man, jump with me to Matthew. We're gonna, we're gonna start in Matthew chapter 11. Because as I was as I was looking through this and just thinking about life in general, what, what I try to do is when I, when I figure out where I am, which usually takes forever because there's a lot going on in this head, I look in this book like, what do I do? Because what i found is no matter what happens in this world, no matter what we do, no matter what's going on around us, things really never change. This world stays this world. And this book is still true. And this book still speaks life to us in this world, if we'll allow it to. And I've noticed that in my life, if I'll look to this book for different situations that resemble where I'm at, I find things that help me get through life and makes my life a whole lot easier. And so I was looking through this. I found this story about this guy named John. So we're going to jump in in Matthew chapter 11 into this guy's life. Uh, John the Baptist right now has done everything he's supposed to And we're going to just jump into just a little small window of his life. And I I think, again, regardless of who you are or where you are, I think if we'll apply what we're about to look at, it could drastically change us. So Matthew chapter 11, um, starting verse 1, it goes like this. It says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So kind of get this set up first. You've got Jesus putting on probably the best conference ever for discipleship and church planning. I mean, it's Jesus. He's sitting, and think about that for a second. One-on-one time with the creator of the universe, Jesus is sitting most likely on the beach, somewhere probably like San Diego, sitting back, got the surf rolling in, they got a campfire, got s'mores. He most likely has a hacky sack, a frisbee they're playing, all sorts of stuff. And he's just speaking life into them. He's talking to his friends. He's about to send them out to do what he's built them to do. He's about, he just assembled this, this complete group of screw-ups. These guys that are so jacked up, it makes us look like saints. This really messed up group of people. He's assembled them together and he's pouring into them. Hardcore, just like really reaching, trying to get them to see. They're sitting on the beach and really I see them just like sitting there. Probably has some like fresh seafood, maybe some crab, something like that they're about to eat. And he's just speaking life into them. Telling them, it, it's, it's get ready, we're going. And then verse 2. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples. (laughs) When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sends his disciples. So again, get that in your head. You got Jesus on the beach, feet up, surf, seagulls probably flying around. Um, Jesus doing his thing with with his disciples. And you've got John the Baptist who's sitting in most likely a desert in prison with probably a dirt floor and guards. And you know who John the Baptist is, right? You know what his job was. John the Baptist was the, the setup pitcher for the greatest relief pitcher in history. He was the guy, his job was to come to this planet and get everybody ready for Jesus. His job was to walk out and to tell everybody, hey, dude, this guy that we've been praying for, this Messiah that our generation, that our people have longed for their entire lives, he's coming. He's almost here. Man, get ready. He's, he's coming. He, um, he, was this, he was the hype man. He was the hype man. Back before, a long time ago, I had the honor of going to see B.B. King, probably one of the greatest musicians ever. I got to see him live in Texas, um, and it was was one of the coolest concerts ever. B.B. had this guy, Mr. King, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. King had this guy, I don't know him that well, He had this guy that came out before him And I'll never forget, this dude looks slick I mean, just really, like, nice suit Dude was flying, just, like, moving around like James Brown And he's all running around, music's, like, blaring He had this whole, like, thing full of gold necklaces And he's all, Mr. King, king of the world And he's looking for women everywhere And he's just handing them a gold chain Craziest thing I've ever seen And he's, like, dancing, slide like, James Brown stuff "Uh, Get ready for the king, the king's coming Mr. BB King, and he's "Uh," doing his thing Not like that, because I'm white and I can't do that But doing it well getting people hyped up man the king of the world he's coming the king of the blues mr bb king the king of the world and getting them ready and then bb comes out sits on the chair and just goes starts playing and and everybody's just like hypnotized that's john the baptist his job was to come out and get everybody worked up to get everybody amped that the messiah the, the the savior is coming this dude that we've prayed for for generations that we've heard about in stories that we've read about on scrolls this guy that he's it he's coming he's almost here that's john's job now John's sitting in jail. He's in prison in the desert and Jesus and the disciples are chilling on the beach. Look at verse three. John heard that, when John heard in prison um, what Christ is doing, he sends the disciples. Verse three says, to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Can't you just feel that kind of in John? He's sitting in jail. Told everybody, hey, God's coming. This great Savior, the Messiah, he's coming. He's sitting in prison and he hears stories about God and the disciples. And he has this moment of, snap, <laughs> are you the one? Did I, did I do this? And I, and I think there's one or two places where John's at right now. And I think this is, if we're honest, this is where we are, regardless of who we are. I think we all fit in this category. You, you have a spot in John's life where he knows what's about to happen. He's sitting in jail. It doesn't look good. He stood up to the king. That's not a smart thing to do. He stood up to King Herod and said, hey, what you're doing is pretty stupid. You you should probably stop. King Herod's wife gets really ticked off, throws John in jail. John knows that he's about to die. He knows that in just not too much longer, he's going to lose his life. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know that in just a few months, probably John the Baptist is going to have his head cut off by order of the king. But he's sitting in jail and he's looking at his life, and he's evaluating, and I think he's doing one of two things. I think he's looking at everything, and I think he's honestly having that moment of, whew, did I do everything possible? I mean, I know what my job was. I know I was supposed to go out and tell people Jesus was coming, that the Messiah was here. Did I do everything possible in that moment? Did I miss something? Man, I don't know if you do this, but it's easy to get stuck and, and trapped in quicksand of regret, where you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, did... Should I have done this? If I would have done this, man, life would have been different. If I would have made this choice, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be here if I would have just said this. If I would have just done this. If I would have just done not did that. And just, it's so easy to get sucked into that regret, and it's quicksand. And it just, the more you fight it, the more it seems to just pull you down. There was a lady, um, this nurse. <laughs> um, she was a palliative nurse, and she wrote this book. Uh, and and basically she's taking care of people who are at their, their deathbed. She's taking care of people who are right at the end of life. And she starts to hear the same thing over and over as she's caring for them. Um, so she writes down the top five things that people said to her as they're in that stage of life, when they're waiting for life to end the top five things she heard. She said, the number one thing was this. She said, she heard this the most. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the expectations of others. This was the most common regret that she heard. When people realize that their life is almost over and they look back on it, they regret things that they didn't do over things that they did. That's huge. And they realize they realize the painful truth that this was due to choices that they had made. They regret more what they didn't do over things that they did do. Hmm. Number two, she said, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. She said this, that this came from every single patient she nursed. They missed out on life by trying to get just one more accomplishment, one more promotion, just one more possession. They deeply regretted spending their lives on the hamster wheel of work existence and not really on what mattered most. Third one, was she said, I, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Many, she said, suppressed their feelings in order to keep peace with others. Many developed illnesses regretted, um, relating to the bitterness and resentment that they carried with this as a result. Fourth, she said, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. She said that often they would not truly realize the benefits of old friends until it was too late to track them down. They had gotten so caught up in their own lives that they let some really great friendships slip through in the years. The fifth one, she said, I I wish I'd let myself be happier. (laughs) Many of her patients didn't realize until the end that happiness is a choice. Their fear of change kept them pretending with others and themselves, but deep down they longed to have laughter in their lives again. It's easy to to get in a situation and look at your circumstances and think that maybe I didn't do everything that I should. And I I don't know if this is what John's thinking because I don't want to pretend to know what John's thinking. Um, I've never spent a a long amount of time in jail. Make sure I said that right. I I don't know exactly what John's thinking here. I I know it's most likely going one of two directions. I, I think he's sitting there thinking... Did I do everything I should? Did I do everything possible in this? Was I so caught up in trying to do what I wanted to do? Did I do everything I could to set up Jesus? Did I, do, did I do my job in this? And men, I don't know where you're at, but I know as a dad, it's easy to look back on life with regret thinking, did I do this well? Should I have done this? Should I not have done this? And should I have done this? Or I think the other spot that John could be in this is he's done everything he was supposed to. You, you go back and you read the John the Baptist's life. This, this dude did everything right. I mean, he did everything he was supposed to. People start praising him. He's super popular. People start yelling, hey, how much they love him. And he's like, no, no, it's not me. It's Jesus. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. It's not me. It's this dude named Jesus. He's the one. It's not me. He does everything he's supposed to. And yet his circumstances still have him sitting in a jail waiting basically to be executed. And I think he's sitting there and I think he's doing probably both of these. He's looking back on his life thinking, man, did I do everything possible? But I also think he's looking back on his life and he's having a moment of doubt because he's been knocked about as far down as you can get. And he's looking back at his life and he, he sends his disciples to go and ask Jesus, hey, are you the one or should we expect somebody else? And I don't know, maybe this is some of us. Maybe you're at a point in life now where you're looking at your life as a whole and you're looking at things thinking, how in the world did I get here? This is not what I had planned for my life. I remember dreaming it as a kid and when I dreamed it as a kid I had this and now I'm in this stage of life and I'm not even close to this. I'm so far over here. How and how did I get here? God, is this is this real? Are you real? And what Jesus says next to John, I think if we can take that and we can apply it to us, and it doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, it doesn't matter if you're a kid, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, if we can take what Jesus says next to John and we can add that into our world, it will drastically change how we do life. Look at what Jesus says to John in verse 4. Jesus replies to him and he says this, Go back and report to John what you have heard and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor. You you understand that when, when life, when we look back and maybe we're stuck in regret and we're thinking, Hey, I should have done this, but I didn't. We're looking at choices that we made versus choices we didn't make. Maybe we're looking at life thinking, how did I get here? Remember what you've seen and remember what you've heard about Jesus. Remember the truth of who he is. Remember the, the fact that it doesn't matter who we are. All that matters is who he is. That nothing we do earns his love. He loves us because of him, not because of us. Remember what you've seen and what you've heard. If you have trouble seeing and hearing it, come here when we baptize people. We baptized like 200 and something people out there the other just a couple months ago. And people who stood up and said, hey, I want the world to know who God is. Remember what you've seen and what you've heard. Think back to parts of your life. And we don't do this well as a nation. Think back to parts of your life where you've seen God show up and you've watched him work. You've heard his voice in your life. You've maybe taken a step of faith and God did something crazy with that. Remember what you've seen and what you've heard. What's crazy with this is um, when these guys go back to John and they start telling their their friend, John the Baptist, they're they're like, hey, John, um, check it out. We talked to Jesus. We did just what you said. This is what he said to tell you, um, remember what you've seen and what you've heard. You got dead folks walking around again. You got lame people that can walk. You got sick people that are well, blind people can see. You got deaf people that are dancing. You got all this cool stuff going on. Jesus said to remember those things. It didn't change John's circumstance. Dude's still stuck in prison. He still has his head cut off in just a few, just a few weeks. I think what it did do is exactly what it'll do for us if we'll allow it. It gave John hope. It gave John hope to realize that my circumstances don't dictate who I am. It gave John hope to go out, go out with honor. Jesus goes on to say this, and honestly, as I was reading the story, this is the verse that kind of messed with me the most. Jesus ends this little talk. He says this, blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me because it's easy. And I see people doing this all the time. And to be honest with you, I've done this where I look at my circumstances and I don't understand what God's doing. And I question his wisdom because I'm a lot smarter and I lose sight of who he is because of who I am. And Jesus is saying, blessed is the person who doesn't fall away on account of me. You understand that when Jesus was coming for freedom, he wasn't coming to set John free from the Romans. He wasn't coming to bring freedom that was temporary. He wasn't coming to to liberate the Israelites and to set the Jewish nation free physically. He was coming to set them free spiritually. He was coming to give them freedom, not from a temporary problem, but from an eternal problem that that was bigger than them, that, that involved us. And the freedom wasn't what John could see. And it would be easy in that moment, just as it's easy in our moments, to look at situations, to look at circumstance and to not trust that God knows what he's doing, and to walk away. And Jesus is saying, man, blessed is the one who doesn't fall away because they don't understand what I'm doing. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk away because, because of me. Because sometimes God's wisdom is so far out of the realm of our wisdom because we see here, and God sees all of this at once. And we don't see what he's going to do because we're focused on a circumstance. And can I tell you to get your eye off a of circumstance and to put it back on God and remember what He's said, what he's done, and what you've seen and watched him do around you. It's easy. It's easy to get knocked down, especially with regret. Especially as a dad, it's easy to fall in that trap of what do I what do I do now? Um, this dude named Solomon, several years way before John the Baptist was probably even thought of. Um, Solomon, I, I like to picture Solomon a lot like my grandpa. I don't know what his name was. We called him Peepaw because we, we weren't allowed to call him anything else. So Peepaw was this old cowboy. Old cow He was always old. Like I never remember Peepaw being young. Always wore like overalls. He was a cotton farmer in, in, um, in, in New Mexico. And I remember going out and, and going to my, my grandparents' house and Peepaw would be working. He would come in um, just like dog tired because he worked hard. Uh, my meemaw would be sitting on the couch uh, watching baseball or wrestling because that's all that she watched. So, I don't know if those were the only two channels she had. But that's all we watched at Mimas House was wrestling and baseball. And she taught me life, everything I needed to know about life through wrestling and baseball. So everything I have relates back to those two things. But I remember my peepaw walking in, and that dude was one of the smartest, most intelligent people I've ever met. I remember him saying things. I don't know if you have people in your life that do this, but they're like a walking fortune cookie. They say something, and you're like, Who are you? What does that even mean? And you walk out of there, and you're like, Your brain is just rolling nonstop. Like, What is that? I don't understand. And that was my people. He would say some of the things that was just so smart. It took me years to understand what he was talking about. I think that's how Solomon was. When Solomon wrote this, he wrote all these, these crazy smart things out. We put them together in this book called Proverbs. And, and I picture as I read through the book of Proverbs, I picture Solomon as being this really wise old dude. Probably doesn't have any hair because he's super old. But he's sitting there in like this crazy smooth like silk jacket. I don't know why, but that's just how I see him. Laid back and like a lazy boy feet up. He's got grandkids everywhere, like children all over the place around him. Cause the dude had like 9 million wives. So kids everywhere. And he's sitting there and he knows that life's about done. And so he's spilling wisdom out to these guys. Just, he's trying to give them everything that he learned. What's the last thing I can give you guys as wisdom before, man, before my life here is done. That, that's kind of how I see Solomon in this moment. And he writes this in Proverbs 24. And, and this is one of the most powerful things I think you'll hear today. He says this in verse 16. For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. For a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. For a righteous man falls seven times. I don't think he said those words on accident. That's not a coincidence. A righteous man falls seven times. You get, it doesn't matter how good you are, men, you are going to fall. We all do. And if you're anything like me, seven isn't even in the ballpark. I don't know if there's enough zeros right now in existence to to count up the amount of times that I've fallen. The righteous man falls seven times. It's not about how many times you fall. It's about getting back up. Man, you get as a dad, you may have fallen and you may even be sitting in this moment thinking of all the the regret and all the spots of your life that aren't where you thought they should be. And you, you feel down. Get up get back up it's not about falling down seven times it's about standing up the eighth it's not about falling down it's about getting back up and getting back in the game and doing something with your kids doing something with your life and pointing people towards jesus it's about it's about getting back up let me give you something men that that are game changers um and this doesn't matter dude if you're if you're a dad an uncle cousin maybe you're just a neighbor this will help if, if we can take these three things that I'm about to throw out, because one of the things that scared me the most as a, as a man was being a godly like you know the spiritual leader of my house, terrifies me, <laughs> horror man. I'm like I'm sweaty at night, like waking up like in a cold, just like ah, not knowing what to do. If we can take these three steps, it will drastically change everything. Game changers. First one's this: get your kids to church. Do you understand how important it is for your children to be in a place where they hear about God? I understand that the Super Bowl is important, that the World Series is important. I understand that the beach is important. All of those things are great. Do it on Saturday. Get your kids to church on Sunday. Get them in the place where they can hear about Jesus on a regular basis, and they can learn what it means to walk and to follow him and who he is and the fact that he loves them in spite of their circumstances. Get your kids to church. Second one, ask your kids where they are with Jesus. And trust me, I know how sketchy that is. (laughs) What if they say something that I don't know the answer to? Your kids are smarter than you. Just accept it. It's part of the world we live in. They probably are going to say something that you have no idea what they're talking about. And you're going to look at them like they just spoke in tongues. Like, what? And you have no clue what to say back. Run with that. You don't have to have all the answers. Ask them where Jesus is and let them know that God is important in their life. And it's important to you that God is important to them. Ask them where they are with Jesus. Third become the spiritual cheerleader for your kids. And man, I'm not saying you have to walk in the room, do a herky and a backflip, and then like, yeah, Jesus. No, cheer them on when you see them do things that point towards God. Be a voice of encouragement to them when you see them do things that, that point towards Jesus. When you see them help somebody, man, tell them about it. Man, I saw Jesus in you today. You open the door for that old lady. You understand people don't do that nowadays. That's, a, that's, a, that's something that should happen that doesn't on a normal basis. When you see your kids do it, encourage that. Tell them how that pointed towards Christ. Tell them that you saw God in that moment in their lives. Let them see you proud of the fact that they're representing God. Be spiritual cheerleaders in their life. You understand if we do those three simple things that anybody in this room can do, it's a game changer. It changes everything. Maybe... um, Maybe today is one of those days where you're looking at this and you're just even listening and reading John's story and and hearing this proverb from from Solomon and you're thinking, Tim, I've screwed up so much. I don't know how to stand back up. There's no way that God would, I'm I'm so far, and and let let me give you some truth that, that could change your life. Jesus loved you before you had a chance to screw up. He loved you, knowing you were going to mess up. He loved you in spite of who you are, because of who He is. And it doesn't matter how many times you've fallen; He is right there with a hand out, saying, "Dude, get back up. Let's go." Waiting for us to stand back up and to use us, because since the beginning of time, starting with Adam, He's used and broke. He's used broken people to do extraordinary things. And He's waiting for us to not lay on the ground, because that's what the beat. That's what the beat down. That's what the, the destroyed do. They lay on the ground and say, man, look at me. I'm a victim. My circumstances, no, stand back up, get up and do something. Allow God to use you. If you're at that point in life where you're like, man, there's no way that God could do anything with me. You are so far from, so far from truth. God not only wants to use you. He designed you specifically to be used by him. Pray with me. God, thank you for... um, Thank you for the fact, Jesus, that nothing we do will ever make you love us any more or any less. God, there's nothing that we can say. There's not God, there's not anything that we can do where we fail like we failed, where we look at a circumstance in our life and think, hey, this is who I am. God, there's none of that that, that has anything to do with your love for us. Your love for me has never been circumstantial. God, it has never depended on who I am. You've loved me from the beginning of time because of who you are. Jesus, today, as we sit in this, maybe we're sitting here with some regrets that we wish we could have done some things differently. Maybe we're sitting here and we're thinking, man, everything is great. And now we're evaluating life and we're looking at, have we really, man, are we are we pushing towards what matters most? Or are we pushing towards a bigger TV? <laughs> maybe we're just sitting here thinking, man, I, I've fallen and I'm just, I'm tired and I just, I'm, I don't want to get back up. Wh- wherever we're at this morning, God, would you give us the wisdom God, give us the courage to hold to the truth that you're, you're with us, that you love us, that you're bigger than any circumstance. And even though things look bleak and things may not be where we want them to be in our lives, the truth behind all of it is that you love us more than we can possibly comprehend. And you're waiting for us to stand back up. So God, use us today. Help us today to, to make, make a difference, God, and use broken people to fix a broken world until we see you again face to face. In your beautiful name, amen.